the podcast on the Sing Second Sports Network are a ProVision Advisors production. At ProVision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. Visit ProVisionAdvisors.net to learn more. Unbraveled Army team. Nope, it's Army Week, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sing's Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield, your host. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and Baltimore Sun Newspapers and Chris Cervello. We do this pod for this week, ladies and gentlemen. We actually do it to highlight the physical mission and the awesome stories that we've been bringing you for three seasons. But it's Army Week, and we love this week. And We've got an awesome week ahead of you. Joining us today, class of 06, uh, Dan Runsheimer, also former Deptant and class of 96, yet former soccer goalkeeper TJ Grady and former commandant of midshipmen and quarterback of the football team, Bill Byrne. That's the way we start off Army Week, ladies and gentlemen. We also like starting Army Week off with uh, things that I like to call natties. We've got another national title. The women's rugby team followed up last season's fall D1 championship by defeating Utah State by a final score of 61-28 to win this year's fall D1 championship. Navy trailed 7-5 early, but erupted for 36 unanswered points in the first half in route to an ass-kicking that gave us the trophy. Marissa Meyer was well-deserving of the MVP honors. Navy continued its trend of scoring early in the playoffs. Um, and then after that 7-5 lead, or after that 7-5 early deficit, the rest of the way was all Navy and Murph McCarthy. We are very, very happy to bring you an interview with Murph this week. We're going to be doing a live record of the pod on Thursday night from our sponsors at Dry D5. Murph McCarthy will be there to talk about this. But Wags, here we are. We've talked about rugby um, you know, coming on board this year as varsity sports 34 and 35. And I'll tell you what, if you're Chuck Ladchuk and actually Chris and uh, Wags, I'd be interested in your opinion on this. Can't get better, right? You know, men's rugby goes undefeated. Women's rugby goes back down to North Carolina and wins the D1 championship for the fall again. I would say that's a pretty good metric of success. Absolutely. And congratulations to women's rugby. And it is impressive that in their first varsity seasons, both the men and women have set the bar extremely high. Uh, let's mention a couple other players. Megan Leitz, Sadie Eating, Dinah, Dina Giles, Grace Oliver, Nicole Dupree, uh, just Sienna Hall. So many key players in addition to Marissa Meyer, who you mentioned. Uh, fantastic for Murph. He's doing a terrific job. Uh, great win. A very dominating win, to be honest. I mean, I did you expect in a championship setting that uh, Navy would dominate in that manner, John? I, I did not, but I'll tell you what, um, to give a little spoiler alert to the uh, interview with Murph on Thursday, Murph knew, um, you know, I talked to Murph last week and he was like, you know what? I think we got this. Never going to say that publicly, but we got this. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, this is a sign of what I believe is the great part of the physical mission that 
here you are, you're playing the Utah State Aggies in women's rugby in the national title in North Carolina, the fall D1 title in North Carolina. I, I just find that to be so great and such a validator of what they're doing. Chris, we had the opportunity both to watch Murph's ladies and Gavin Hickey's boys play out there. What, what a great addition to all the D1 sports to have these guys doing so well. I think this is what they promise Chet and the decision makers at NAAA. And I kind of feel like if we didn't have this level of success, the decision makers at NAAA would be disappointed, right? I mean, I think that this is what you heard from men's and women's rugby alumni. Hey, this is the level that these teams can compete at. There's no reason for them not to be varsity. Make them varsity and they will deliver. And it looks like they have, John. Deliver indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Again, hats off to both rugby programs this year. They did so well. Um, and we can't wait to bring you the interview with Murph on Thursday from Dry D5. What else was happening this week? Um, let's talk about wrestling. Both Josh Coderhand and Jacob Kozer placed among the top eight in their respective weight classes to lead Navy to the 14th place finish at the 2022 Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational that was held this past weekend out in Vegas. That isn't just where Chris Cervello and John Schofield go to lay the under on NFL games. That's where wrestlers go to compete and compete well. They did. The 33-team field featured 10 programs ranked among the D1 Top 25, as well as 100 nationally ranked wrestlers ranked 16th nationally in Nebraska, won the team title for the cons second consecutive year. But just like we were talking about with rugby, this is Coach Kerry Kolak getting his wrestlers out there to compete against the very best in the nation, and they're doing really, really well. Speaking of people doing really, really well, Wags, we need to talk about Bramir Vick, who it just happens to be one of the fastest people at Navy. Uh, the Navy track and field team opened up competition for the 2022-2023 season by hosting the Navy Invitational at Wesley Brown. The mids notched six total top 10 all-time performances, highlighted by Vicks setting the school record in the 60-meter hurdles. That is awesome. Uh, Vicks shaved a tenth of a second off of his time in the finals to set a new program best at 7.82 seconds. That topped Clayton Thompson's record that was just set last season. Wags, so excited about the uh, track and field season opening up. You know, we're closing the door on rugby. We're closing the door on a lot of the fall sports. But, but really, uh, another chance for people to shine out here. And, uh, and track and field started out pretty well. Yeah, Bramir Vic is uh, from just down the road in Middletown, Delaware. Uh, that's big-time record. Clayton Thompson, we remember Clayton was one of the best uh, Navy track and field athletes in recent history. And so to take down one of Clayton's records, pretty darn impressive. A lot of good performances. Molly Mangan had some outstanding performances as well uh, on the women's side. So good to see track and field getting, getting underway. We always know both the men's and women's programs will always top notch under Jamie Cook's direction. So let's uh, change gears here really quick. Uh, we were talking before uh, the weekend and in the last pod about swimming and diving. They were going up to Army for the star meet. And the women, as they do all the time and for 34 straight years, defeated Army 172.5 to 127.5 in the star meet. 
hats off to them. We talked to Reagan Johnson last week. She was confident. And indeed, they delivered. Hopefully, later on this week, we're going to bring you an interview with Navy Women's Swimming alum Colleen Randolph. She's going to be part of our Army-Navy coverage as well. But unfortunately, the men lost their streak and lost the star to Army 189 to 111. Um, yeah, really a, a, a brutal loss there and, and something that I'm sure uh, the administration did not expect. Uh, but we know that men's uh, swimming and diving will turn that around next year and start another star series streak. Wags, what were your thoughts on that one? Very shocked and disappointed that the men fell. 31 years in a row, it had become like death and taxes, automatic. Um, John, there was an interesting deal with this meet. There was timing issues. Army's official pool clock was not working properly. So when you see the report, it says, due to timing issues, all times listed in the story remain unofficial as of Friday at 10.45 p.m. Unbelievable that for the star meet, you could have timing problems. Uh, but uh, that's no excuse for Navy men falling. It, it is what it is. Uh, give Army credit. But it, that was shocking to me, John. I like to say that shocking is actually weak sauce, just like, you know, Air Force winning the uh, Commander in Chief's trophy with recruiting violations and and other program violations to have uh, timing issues up there in the pool. Just seems like a very mule thing to do. Uh, we'll settle that this Saturday on the football field up in Philly. More on that throughout the show. Lastly, ladies and gentlemen, this is late November, early December, and that means other than Army-Navy, it's really the thick season for men's and women's basketball. And I'll tell you what, Wags and Chris, it was not a great week for either program. Uh, women's basketball is now 0-9. They lost to Maryland Eastern Shore by 6 and then lost to Ryder by 16. The struggles continue there for a very young team. And men's basketball went down and played Litscombe. They lost that midweek 11 a.m. game, 82 to 77, and then turned around and lost to VMI. Now, VMI is not a bad team, but I don't think Ed DeChellis is going to call this a good loss, right, Wags? Absolutely not. Uh, Lipscomb is an outstanding program, has been solid for a long time. Was not surprised the Navy lost at Lipscomb. I am surprised of the loss to VMI. And it came down to not guarding the three-point line. George Conway had six three-pointers. Navy went into the game saying that was the game plan. You got to run them off the three-point line, make this team drive the ball, go to the basket. And they didn't follow the defensive game plan. And that was uh, what it was all about. That was the Ed DeChellis. We did not guard the three-point shot. We talked about that for two days. Uh, make this team put the ball on the floor and go to the, to the basket. They didn't do it, didn't execute. And, John, it doesn't get any easier. Navy next plays. This is a four-game four road trip before they come back and play Washington College at Alumni Hall. The next two games are at West Virginia and at Towson. And I can tell you, Towson is, you know, they are right there for being the best team in the state of Maryland after the University of Maryland. But among the smaller college colleges, Towson's really good. They've, they've put together a, a solid program. These next two games are going to be tough, and Navy's looking at the possibility of a four-game losing streak. John, let me jump in for a second because, I mean, I, I, want to, I want to piggyback on that. that that's what worries me, um, and, and we talked a little bit about it with Mike Heary when he came on for the um, early season preview. Um, you know, 
I love that we play a difficult schedule and we play a variety of teams because I do think that it helps us as we get into the the dog days of the Patriot League. What I worry about is, is I think these are two games that um, we should have won, right? I mean, yes, Lipscomb is, is, a, is a good team. I think we, we could have won that, that game. And I think there are things that if you go back and look at the tape, you'll see where we fell short. And certainly that was the case with VMI, as Wag just, just talked about. Um, I hope, regardless of the outcome against these two schools, West Virginia and Towson, that we at least correct that. Because to me, worse than going 0-4 in the stretch is going four games not doing what you said you wanted to do. I think that has lingering effects as you go into the holidays and as you get into the Patriot League. I, I really hope that we're able, after these four games, to, to you know use them as a stepping stone to get ready to play for the Patriot League. And I think that's kind of been a little bit of the bugaboo for men's basketball is that um, these late uh, pre uh pre-conference uh, scheduled games ha have caused them problems down the stretch that it takes them, you know, weeks to figure out. Yeah. And, and Wags, I want to go back to you too. You know, Cause you were reminding us that your alma mater is eight and one uh, way to go Towson um, and West Virginia, the fighting Bob Huggins squad is seven and two um, solid competition. They are certainly no Maryland Terrapins. And I was there Wags. Uh, against Illinois on Friday night where you could actually see the Xfinity Center filled with actual fans again. Nice. But I think to Chris's point, that also hurts Navy is that you play a lot of these early season games and even your home games are so ill attended. Um, and I feel like this is just pressing the reset button you know, to our listeners and to the mids. Please, please go out and support these basketball squads when they uh, – when they are playing, um, you know, particularly these early season non-conference games, I know that Washington College one is not necessarily on people's list uh, to go, but damn, come on out there and watch them because the, the environment does make a difference. And I think that that really hurts them with these non-conference early season games. Wags? You're absolutely right, John. I definitely need more support at Alumni Hall. Uh, but Ed Tellis knew this was going to happen. It just was one of these seasons where – Navy had a lot of return games. They, you do, you set up these home and homes. And what happened is during COVID years for two years, Navy was not able to return games that it had previously scheduled. So they're all being made up this year. And then the other factor is that Navy's been a good program for the last two or three seasons. And it's hard to get other opponents to come to alumni hall. So it's just kind of been a confluence of factors uh, but they need, uh, need to get a little more production. I'm looking at the box score here from VMI, and Austin Inge had 21 points, Tyler Nelson had 15. But the other starters, Daniel Deaver has to produce more than two points on two for 10 shooting. He is your inside presence, and when he's not getting it done, it makes it hard to work the inside-out game. Uh, and so just going to need a little more production, but as always with Ed Tuchelis teams, it starts with defense and rebounding, and that's what he was most disappointed with in the VMI was the defense. So hopefully, as Chris mentioned, win or lose, Navy needs to play better brand of basketball against West Virginia and Towson. It would be great to be able to get a steal one of those, those games on the road before coming back home. Yep, these are all going to help us, or at least the hope is that they help us when – You've got to go up to Hamilton and play that tough Colgate team. For me, 
there's really only one end state for this team, and that is playing in March Madness, is getting that Patriot League title. So what are you going to do to prepare for that eventuality that you've got to go through Colgate or you've got to go through a tough Bucknell team in order to get to March Madness? These are what these losses should inform. You should be informed by these so that in January and February and particularly in March, uh, hopefully we're hosting the tournament, we can go up there and get those wins that we need. Hey, lastly, before we go to break, ladies and gentlemen, have to tip the cap to John Marshall. Um, the uh, defensive captain was a unanimous selection. The 2022 first team, all AAC, uh, an absolutely great honor for John. Um, you know, sort of the representation of Newberry's defense all year, um, a very deserved honor, particularly that week that he was the national player of the week with four sacks. He went like full matrix on dudes. Congrats to John Marshall. Jacob Busick was also honorable mention, all AAC. Congrats to them. But I'll tell you what, Wags, they could flush that down the toilet, I bet, and exchange that for a win against Army on Saturday, right? Oh, absolutely. I know. Uh, it's all, it was interesting. We were at the Army-Navy presser in Philadelphia when the news was announced right at about noon as we sat down for lunch. And I grabbed John Marshall, and he was very honored, but he wanted to credit his teammates because he's not making tackles without defensive linemen holding blockers and he was disappointed that you know this defense has been tremendous ranked fourth nationally in rushing defense he thought some other fellows were deserving of honors he mentioned you know donald biscuit bernyard the nose guard who's played so well nicholas strahls had a good season colin ramos the inside linebacker is among the team's leading tacklers rayon lane safety so john was a little disappointed it's just him and busick that received honors but is what it is, and like you said, nobody cares about that. It's all about Army beating Army on Saturday up there at the link. That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to kick this off well. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to have the first of our Army Week interviews. We're talking to Class of 06, Dan Runsheimer, about FallenShipmate.org and his predictions for the game. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy women's basketball returns to Alumni Hall Friday, December 30th, as it opens conference play with a 1 p.m. matchup versus Boston University. Be sure to come out and support the midshipmen as they close out the 2022 calendar year with one more home contest. Speaking of women's basketball, we will be hanging Navy women's basketball legend Jade Geist jersey from the Rafters on January 14th. The noon contest will feature the midshipmen taking on the Loyola Greyhounds. Don't miss your chance to help us honor Jade this January. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. As promised, we are talking to Dan Runsheimer, Class of 06 grad and member of FallenShipmate.org. We have talked to Dan and Jared Sprunk. Um, about Custodis Libertatis, the Memorial Foundation. Dan, number one, thank you for coming back on the pod. It's always great seeing you. We were able to see you during the football season here. Um, and for those of, the, those of our listeners who haven't heard the interviews with you and your um, compatriots at Fallen Shipmate, introduce us to the uh, organization one more time, please. 
Yeah, you bet. Thank you guys for having us again. We really appreciate the coverage and the opportunity to speak and, and uh, reach the Naval Academy family out there. Uh, the organization is Custodis Libertatis. Easier to find the website, which is fallenshipmate.org, you mentioned earlier. Um, stood up by several classes of those six members, and now we've got alums from other classes that are involved as well. We stood it up at our 10-year reunion, and the mission is to provide edu education scholarships uh, to the families of, of our fallen um, alumni family. Um, primary form that takes is writing tuition checks and uh, you know, room and board and expenses for uh, post-secondary education. So Dan, catch us up with the progress. Um, Chris and I were there. We are very happy to crash the 06 reunion. We specialize at crashing reunions for that matter. Um, but you know, tell us about you know, how the momentum is going and what the eventual goal is. And you know, if there are listeners out there who wanna to donate to this organization, how can they do so? You bet. So uh, the momentum this year has been great. We've helped five different families um, covering three or four different Naval Academy classes. This year, the scholarship expenses have been a little bit lighter. We've got uh, one family member who's actually a midshipman at the Academy right now, um, doing outstanding there. And then uh, we've got a few others that, that are just starting their college journeys. So, um, but we've been able to help five with, with scholarships and uh, some of their associated labs and, and book expenses. And then we've also, one of the, the great things that's happened this year is we've had a couple people from the class of 1969 step up and uh, are helping us reach out to a number of the other classes so that we can get information out to more of the families. So we've got over 50 identified children of fallen Naval Academy alums over the last 21 years. And uh, we've only been able to reach about half of those families so far. Class of 1969 is reaching out to more class officers and getting this information out, which is just huge. We're, we're an all volunteer group and any, any little bit of extra help uh, there on the volunteer side is amazing. So thanks to that class. Fundraising wise, we had a, an incredibly successful year there. We raised over $100,000. So the delta there between scholarships that go out and the money that's raised, that goes into a fund and it, it's basically there for future deployment. There are a lot of young children um, and rising middle school and high school students from this post 9-11 era. So there's a lot that's, that's being put away for the future deployment uh, the education journey of those families. And then if, if someone wants to donate, you go to fallenshipmate.org. You can leave an online donation through our PayPal account. You could set up if you're, let's say your class of 1997 and you want to do $19.97 a month, you can set up a recurring plan. If you're in the yeah. class of 1997 or 1999, you need to be doing $1,997 a month. You know what I mean? So come on, you got to move that decimal two places. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. And same thing for the 1999 uh, folks as well. But um, th th that's the way to reach us as well. The big piece here is we know that there are still families that have not received this message yet. And, you know, these are, these are all families with a history of service the GI Bill helps with some things. It doesn't cover everything. And you've got a resource here to help take that, um, that anxiety off of you as a, as a family here on the education journey, which is the most expensive 
piece of raising a child is that that post-secondary education. Don't I know it. Wags, go ahead. Well, I know this is probably all done rather privately, but I'm wondering if you could share maybe a personal story without, you know, necessarily naming names of a family that you've helped and how rewarding it's been. I would imagine that, you know, you work with a family for X amount of years with uh, getting a child through school. You get to know them pretty well and uh, they're, they become like family. Absolutely. I mean, Wags, you're 100% correct. There are so many neat families out there that we've been able to meet through this program. Um, you know, families that had one child, families that had six children and everything in between. So one, I, I'm going to give you two pieces here. One of the things that's been neat is to be able to help several children from the same family uh, and, and kind of um, work through their different education needs, whether it's been undergrad, uh, postgrad. I think one of the episodes I came in and I talk, talked about the young woman who uh, went through a medical program, became a physician's assistant and worked at a VA. So she was giving back to, to our community. I think the uh, one of the exciting things um, about this is that personal connection back to the alumni family. One of the things that we were able to do over the last two years for one of the families is that the, uh, the surviving parent, the mother, had some health challenges of her own and uh, some anxiety about covering some of the needs of the child uh, that was headed off to university. Foundation was able to step in and cover everything that they needed, no questions asked. And it, it took a huge burden off of, you know, off of this mother uh, at a time when she was uh, going through a challenging um, situation on her own healthcare journey. So I think those are the things that, um, you know, without going to specifics about different families uh, or, or the, uh, you know, their own personal journeys, those are the things that make this very worthwhile. And, you know, the funds that people donate go directly to these families. So um, do you have tailgates at football games where you're able to bring all these folks together. Uh, I would imagine that, you know, there'd be nice to have social events, which bring a lot of the families together with all of you from the organization who are helping them. Is that, do you do that often? So we haven't done a specific tailgate on our end. We have done, we try to do about two, uh, two local fundraisers in some part of the country each year, but there are two ways that we connect with these families in person. One is the Honor the Fallen weekend that the Naval Academy hosts. So Justin made it to that this year, was able to speak with some of the families. We've had a tremendous partner there with uh, Jeff Webb, class of 95, the uh, CEO of the alumni and, and foundation there. Um, so that's that's been excellent. That's where we connect each year in person. And then the other in-person connection opportunity, which I want to mention is Carry the Load. So Carry the Load was uh, started by Naval Academy grad, Stephen Holly, and it takes place all over the country. Many of you are familiar with it, legs that cover all over the country, uh, walks, relays, rallies. And that gives us a chance where uh, any of our families, donors, uh, the volunteers at the foundation, we're able to connect in person with people through that in a way that we don't have the scale to do as, as a small organization. So we're really thankful for the Carry the Load program, uh, which has also been a donor now to the foundation for five years. That's a great forum. Anybody that's not familiar with it, take a look, carrytheload.org. Uh, 
great, great way to connect um, with the families of the fallen. Well, Dan, I'll tell you, we absolutely love talking about the organization. And, and for any of you out there who want to like, you know, just kind of get centered about the importance and the gravity of all this. You know, I was, you know, I've worked a lot with Catherine Tappan and, and her recognition of her cousin, Ford Shaw, uh, who was class of 06. And, and there were three others from the class of 06 who were on that Memorial Hall wall. But as you go on to usnamemorialhall.org, and just take in all of the names that are on there. Um, you know, it's not like being in Memorial Hall, you know, physically, but it absolutely lends gravity to what you're doing here. And it's an uphill battle, Dan, and you guys at FallenShipmate.org are doing so much, not only through Carry the Load and Custodis Libertatis, but just by trying to get the word out. And we appreciate you using us to do that. We will continue to talk about this organization and the great things you're doing because you're such a great representative of what's good about the Naval Academy. So before I let you go, it's mandatory. You're the first interview of Army Week. What's going to happen on Saturday? You think Army in a close one, right? You were telling us off camera that you really think Army is going to win? I think, uh, you know, maybe you misheard my my comments off the camera earlier. No, I think, I think we're going to give Army a pounding this year. We had a tougher schedule. Uh, Jared told me that Vegas has the odds on Army this year. I think it's all it's all upside down. Navy's going to pound them. I think it'll be a solid double-digit win, and it's going to be an exciting game this year. Beat Army. Beat Army, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dan Runsheimer of Custodis Libertatis, class of 06, starting us off on Army Week the right way. But please, ladies and gentlemen, for more information on this, please visit fallenshipmate.org consider uh, donating to this organization and supporting them as they go forward. This is what Army Week is all about, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to get up and dirty in here. We're going to talk some depth on stuff with TJ Grady, a little bit of World Cup with the old uh, soccer goalie. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. Don't miss your chance to catch five great games this basketball season with our Navy Basketball Weekend Mini Plan. For just $50 for adults and $25 for youth, fans can watch five Saturday Navy basketball games, including this year's Army-Navy doubleheader. Call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com for more information. Now back to the pod. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Great conversation with Dan Runsheimer. We are going to switch gears Army Week interview number two, ladies and gentlemen, we've got TJ Grady. And what I like about this time of year, and it really has never been this time of year, but this is the World Cup. And as an old soccer myself, um, I really enjoy watching the World Cup, other than when the U.S. team doesn't choose to start their best 11 and then they drop one, uh, 3-1 to the Netherlands. But love the opportunity to talk soccer with an old soccer goalie himself, class of 96 grad, TJ Grady. Some of you listeners out there might remember him from the fleet. Others might remember him as the deputy commandant. Uh, but TJ, number one, thank you for joining the podcast. And number two, walk us through you know, your, your life up to this point and what you're doing right now. Hey, thanks, John. It's great to be on the pod. Um, yeah, just retired a, a couple of years ago. Uh, like you said, graduated in 96, had the opportunity to play soccer at the Naval Academy and uh, be the captain of that team. And, um, you know, took trying to take all those skills or kind of traits I learned from the team uh, on the soccer team and apply that to the fleet. So ended up being an aviator, flew P3s for about 15 years and then P8s for another eight years. 
after that and uh, was fortunate enough, like you mentioned, to come back to the Naval Academy as the deputy commandant. Never in my wildest dreams would I thought that I'd be back at the Naval Academy. So I got to serve a few years uh, from 17 to 19 back there. And to be honest, one of the busiest jobs I've ever had and also one of the most rewarding jobs. It was just fantastic. So before WAG starts hitting you up on what your goals against average and everything like that was <laughs> back in the mid nineties, um, what did the physical mission provide you? You know, whether you're the captain of a D one team, like you were a very, you know, a very successful program having to deal with the emotional swings of Dr. Myers that I have certainly witnessed on my, with my own PTSD, but, uh, you know, what did the physical mission provide you that, that you relied upon in your fleet career and that you still rely upon today? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, you know, when we look at the discipline and the commitment you learn from sports, you get all of those things, you know, the time commitment. I remember coming back to my room after practice, just Dr. Myers, you know, Coach Myers running us into the ground and coming back and then, then you had another four or five hours of studying to do, right? And there you are at two o'clock in the morning saying, I don't think I can do this. And then you just keep working through and that, that same kind of work ethic just kind of carried through to the fleet. And I remember saying, well, I had a passion for the team. Now, how do I apply this to aviation? You know, how do I apply that work ethic? And what I learned playing a team sport was simply that leadership isn't the same for everybody. I remember looking at some of my teammates and saying, you know, one teammate, I could say, hey, I need you to run through this wall. And that guy would do it. He would just, he wouldn't question anything. He would just, boom, run through that wall. And the next guy I had to say, hey, can you run through this wall? Because this is the reason I need you to. And then the next guy was, can you do me a favor? It would really mean a lot to me if you run through this wall. And I quickly learned that all these guys on the team, I had to lead differently. And applying that to the fleet, it's no different. You have to look at everybody, get to know them, build relationships with them, figure out what makes them tick, and then try to do your best to lead them all towards the same goal. So um, being on the soccer team at the Naval Academy was a huge influence in my life and, and something I'm just, I value very much. TED Talk right there. Wags, go ahead. <laughs> well, first and foremost, you all uh, referenced uh, Dr. Myers. That would be Greg Myers, who was the Navy soccer coach for 29 years. Really, truly a legend, led Navy to over 200 victories. Very successful. He didn't have a temper at all, Wags. Nope, no temper. Nope. We all know that, but he was a good, nice guy, too, off the field. Uh, uh, but how is Dr. Myers? Do you still speak to him, TJ? I do, Wags. Yeah, I see him. Uh, I, you know, I travel back to the academy during the fall to watch a couple games every year. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll call him up and ask him if he'll be there. Most of the time, I just show up behind the goal and there he is uh, watching the team. Uh, first thing he says to me, are you staying out of trouble? You know, um, and then he, we just start talking about the game and about, um, how it's gotten quicker and faster. And these boys are just so much better than we were when we were that age. Um, but yeah, he's doing great. Uh, he, he looks great. Um, and so it's great to see him. I keep in touch with both coaches, Rich Miranda and Dr. Myers all the time. So we're in army Navy football week. So I'm curious and i you know, I never really ever thought of this or asked anyone, but what's the relationship like between Navy soccer players and football players and 
What did you all do anything special to try to support football during this big Army Navy week? Yeah, you know that's a great question. Um, I think when I was there, our relationship was closer to the lacrosse team because we were actually right next to the lacrosse locker room, and so we got to know those guys very well. But we have classmates that played, and so I still keep in touch with all my classmates that played uh, for yeah. Army Navy games. We unfortunately, my class didn't win a single game while we were there, Army Navy football game. We went two and two in soccer, but we went 0 and four during my years there. So it's great to get back and see the success we've had. Um, I'm still on lock to text change Fair with enough. all my soccer buddies. And sure, sure enough, sure we enough. talk about it all the time. So uh, yeah, we're all, every, every conversation we start off right now, WAGS is beat Army. TJ, your first year was kind of the turnaround that we're still reaping the benefits of for Navy football. I mean, it was the introduction of the triple option. Um, you, you know, they won some games that people didn't think they were going to win that year. Um, we, you know, sort of had ups and downs through Charlie Weatherby. And then uh, Coach Johnson and Coach Niamatololo were there your first year. And, are, you know, the fruits of their labor are still very much with the program. You, you've got to be happy as you think about your time from 96 on uh, with the trajectory that Navy football is on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, like you said, Coach Ken, I think this is his 25th year uh, that started my senior year with Navy football. I think it's 15th um, as the head coach, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, it, it's been wonderful to see that transformation. And it's also just great to see my classmates. They have stuck with the program over the years uh, and the brotherhood and you know, it's so fun to go to that brotherhood tailgate that they include me in uh, all the time and to see their joy. So, so yeah, it's been a nice transformation. We had that good run, uh, you know, for a dozen or so years, uh, I think 14. And um, it, it's just been wonderful to see my classmates. That's been the most important part. Of, they, they struggled a, li a little bit when we were there, but to see them now, just the pride and puff out their chest in the brotherhood of Navy football has been wonderful. And I think we're on a great track. I mean, you know, this year, a little bit of a struggle, but I think we've been playing great the last four games. Uh, OT win over Temple, some, some positives at Cincinnati. Um, gosh, that second half at Notre Dame, if we just had a few more minutes, right? And then I personally got to go down to UCF and watch us whoop up on them. And so I think we're heading in the right direction long-term and just this season as well. Well, TJ, before I let you go and get your uh, prediction for Saturday, you know, I, I, as as Admiral Byrne is waiting to come on after you, I, I remember some really, really long days with Admiral Byrne and our own public affairs challenges at the Naval Academy and being the depth on is certainly no different. Um, you know, you're in the thick of it and and you are seeing everything from the very tactical sailor leadership issues to the very strategic execution of the Naval Academy mission. You know, from your perspective, not only as a grad, but as a former staff member, how is the Naval Academy brand? You know, not, not just as a proud alumnus, but, you know, having seen it from so many different angles, you know, we're always using this podcast to sell the people on the physical mission and the merits thereof. You know, what's your opinion on it, having now stepped away as a recent retiree? You know, I think that's a great question. I told you it was the most rewarding um, position I've, I had in my 26-year career, and I truly mean that. 
The you're right. The the deputy commandant was the XO of the brigade. He uh, or she is carrying out um, the commandant's intent and the mission and how they want to run it. And so you are busier all day, all long. And sometimes you have to deal with some of let's call them the negatives of uh, the midshipmen. Um, but ninety nine point nine percent of those midshipmen, I would just say this, John. We are in great hands. They are wonderful. Uh, young men and women that are growing and and learning and yes, making some mistakes just like you and I did as we grew up at that age. And if you remember that at all times, um, you know it's one of the re most rewarding parts of my career. Seeing now those young men and women in the fleet reaching back to me that may have been across the other side of the table, right at certain times. And reaching back to me and saying, thank you for saying this, or thank you for allowing me to grow um, and not just, you know, having one mistake. I, I tell you what, it warms my heart. I get it about once a month when I see an ensign, a Lieutenant JG, now even lieutenants getting to the fleet, um, doing all this great stuff. So we're as strong as ever at the Naval Academy. Our brand, we should be proud of it. Alumni should be proud of it. And now it's just our job to communicate that to everybody that we're in good hands going forward. Yeah, good hands in space uh, with uh, Caleb Aaron and, yeah. and Nicole Anapu. We're in good hands with recent Road Scholar uh, announcements, and we're going to be in good hands on Saturday out on the fields of Friendly Strife. So as I let you go, you know, I know that you went 0-4 as a mid, and that sucked. No one likes that. But uh, we kind of feel like momentum is on our side this year. From your perspective, what's your, uh, what's your thought on what's going to happen on Saturday? You know, I agree with some of the other callers. I think we're going to beat them pretty well. I watched that UCF game. I think it's going to be uh, a double-digit win as well. I'm going to go with 21-10 uh, Navy. That's, that's my prediction. Man, only 21 push-ups. Someone's getting off scot-free. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sean Buck doesn't have to wear his loose SDBs. Uh, hopefully we've got some more points, but definitely, hopefully that's the, uh, that's the final result. Well, TJ, I'll tell you what, our producer, Chris Cervello and I, we've had great interactions with you and from us to you, thank you so much for doing what you did as the depth on our mid that we love so much, as I told you offline has gone on to do amazing things in the fleet. And, and we have you to thank for that as well as the Naval Academy. So, uh, thank you for coming on the pod. We look forward to having you on again. All right. Sounds good. See you next week, John. All right, ladies and gentlemen, TJ Grady, former Lead deputy Army. commandant and class of 96. Um, we are going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk to former commandant Bill Byrne. As we continue our Army Week coverage, this is Sing Second Sports. And for our last announcement, I'm going to get a little help on this one. The Kids Shipman Club is the official club of Navy Athletic. For just $20, your membership includes exclusive gifts like free tickets to Navy sporting events, a birthday card from Bill the Goat, and more. To register, visit NavySports.com. Go Navy! Beat Army! Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are finishing up episode one of army week here for 2022 it has gone great and you know what i like to bookend these babies with a strong strong quarterback interview and you know what we've never had admiral bill Byrne on this podcast before my former commandant when i was the pao at the naval academy 
Uh, we were talking to TJ Grady just before about the tough times that Bill Byrne and I went through, but a lot of them were such good times. Admiral, so great to have you on the pod, number one. Secondly, please catch everyone up with what you're doing. You're recently retired. How is that going? Retired 1st of August this past summer. And all the advice I got from those who went before me with this transition were, man, I wish I took more time off. I didn't have to hear that a whole lot. Well, I've done a lot. I've done nothing to uh, increase my income, I should say. I've not gone back to work. I'm having a couple exploratory discussions with folks and and maybe come 2023, I'll, I'll get up and get in the car and go somewhere to work. So, so enjoying life. That's what I'm doing, John. Uh, well, you made life very enjoyable as the PAO, despite the fact that there weren't always enjoyable things. Sir, you're not just a Naval Academy graduate. You're not just a former quarterback who happened to play the Army-Navy game in the Rose Bowl. Um, but you're also a parent as well. You've sent a good many of the burn kids through, not to mention the fact that your wife is a grad. Catch us up with that personal angle, which I've always thought, you know, it's it's you and the dishers, you know, are sort of like, you know, battling it out for most Naval Academy family. Um, you, you've, you've got a pretty good placement there. Well, so our, our saying here is one team, one fight, one family. And so we have a lot of blue and gold adorning the, the Byrne household. Super proud of that. Uh, Bridget, class of 13. Mike, class of 16. Martha, 18. And Joe, class of 21. We just sent our fifth out the door to University of San Diego. So we're all going to live our civilian college experience through Mary. Uh, those four are still all out in the fleet. Uh, San Diego, D.C., and Virginia Beach. The two down in Virginia Beach, both married. They both married classmates, so kind of following the family theme. And they are both have little babies, too. So Amy and I are enjoying grandparenthood as well. I like it. Well, I know that Wags and Chris want to ask you some questions, too. Before I turn it over to them, when I was the PAO, a big name that I always had to talk about, you already mentioned it, was Bridget Byrne. She was quite the athlete. You know, talk a little bit about not only her athletic exploits, and she was a hell of a runner, um, but what athletics has meant for you as a family and how you impressed your experiences as running, you know, the, the quarterback, running the offense of the Naval Academy football team and how you imbued that upon your kids and the, the importance of the physical mission? Yeah, so Amy was a varsity athlete as well, and we met sort of athletically, uh, uh, and ended up getting married three years after graduation. And, and physical fitness has always been a part of our lives. It, I didn't have to drag her into it. She didn't have to drag me into it. So the kids grew up uh, running around crazy, played a lot of team sports. They all enjoyed it greatly. Uh, when, when Bridget was being recruited, she was, you know, <laughs> X-nay on the Naval Academy. I'm not doing it. And then at the last minute, she said, okay, I'll do it. And she did it very well. And then and Mike saw the goodness in it. And then Martha saw the goodness in the two of them. And then Joe saw the greatness in all three of them. And they all became varsity athletes themselves. And so it has been a part of our lives. We are pretty proud that we didn't twist their arms and force them into this lifestyle. But we're equally as proud that they saw what we lived and enjoyed it and thought they'd give it a shot themselves. 
you had three Army Navy games that I believe you were participated in. I'm going to guess that the one game you remember the most is '85. Uh, well, uh, so so I didn't participate in three. I uh, I got playing time three years, but I only made it to the end of the season injury free once. And that was 86, my senior year. And, and unfortunately, we sang first that year. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, I was, uh, I was in the house in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena as a plebe in 1983 and blessed to be a teammate of Napoleon McCallum. Uh, so we start that game off by winning the, winning the toss, electing to receive. Nap is on the goal line as he receives the opening kickoff. And all 11 Army cadets on the kick team swarm him before he pulls up behind the back, dipsy doodle, and tosses it to Eric Wallace, who goes 90 yards down the left sideline to start that game with a, with a kickoff return touchdown. Uh, fast forward two years, Napoleon's last game in, in a Navy uniform, Army-Navy 85. He runs for over 200 yards. Uh, what a way to send him off. The brigade comes down on the field as if we had just won the national championship, put him up on their shoulders and carried him off the field. That was eye-watering. And so, so uh, the kickoff return to, kick, to start off 83 in the Rose Bowl and then Napoleon's last day in a Navy uniform, I, I think were my two most favorite Army-Navy moments. And what is your thought on how the team is progressing this season, obviously, it got off to a difficult start, some tough losses, but uh, clearly there's been improvement. Uh, are you pleased with what you're seeing on the field? Yeah, super pleased and super frustrated with the way we started. You know, not not half as frustrated as Ken and Ivan and, and, and all those in the locker room and on the sideline are. But you think about those first couple of games, Delaware, one score game, Air Force, a one score game, SMU a one score game. And, and then over the last month, Cincinnati, a close loss to a ranked team. Notre Dame, a close loss to a ranked team. UCF, we get over the top, a close win against a ranked team. So we easily, easily could be six and five, seven and four, looking for one more thumping before going to a significant bowl game. And, and when you compare strength of schedule, hey, listen, we didn't play Citadel. We didn't play Mercer. Sorry, John, but we didn't play Villanova. Oh, they're, they are a one double A powerhouse, sir. <laughs> I mean, that the physical mission is on no better display than at the yeah. Annapolis of the North on the main line. Yeah, so so Wag, super pleased with the progress of the season, uh, and and hoping to wrap it up nicely next week, and uh, and and start all over again. Sir, I have a quick one for you before John closes it out. So Chris Cervello, uh, when you were CEO of Cape St. George, had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you underway a few times as we took media out. I think back to my time at the in the fleet and. The Army-Navy game took on a different experience when I was underway or deployed. Can you share a memory or two, uh, whether you were in command or whether you were a JO? What were your thoughts on, on following the Army-Navy game deployed in the fleet? Yeah, hey, thanks, Bull. A front end and a back end. In 1989, I was underway off the coast of California on a Saturday morning, you know, doing God knows what on a Saturday morning. Why are we underway, Captain? Uh, 
but but he was a good dude. And I had the morning watch and he said, Bill, get me into Army Navy range. And so we had to get close enough to the coast in order to catch the CBS signal. So I, I was able to watch Frank Shank kick that last minute game winner against Army in 1989. Now, fast forward to Cape St. George. And I know you know this bull. Uh, I had an awesome uh Strike group commander, Mark Guadagnini, God rest his soul, uh, who, who was all about the spirit spot. And he and his PAOs and you and your team set this up so that uh, there was a snapshot of me throwing the ball off the fantail from Cape St. George and then all kinds of dipsy doodles, you know, right. and super hornets in the air and the ball flies past them and the radar tracking and all. Boom. And Guads catches it on the bridge wing of the carrier for our uh, beat army spirit spot that that uh, it's real in the fleet. We were doing that in the fifth fleet AOR. And so people are watching it worldwide and people are taking it seriously worldwide. That's so great. I'd forgotten about that, that spot that you, the anxiety oh, of thinking about it's an how that, all timer, the quad, yeah, the quad uh, spot think, is an all timer. I think conceiving that spot is a big reason why Chris was uh, promoted to the rank of commander. Oh, I, I can't take credit. I think we just helped with some B-roll on the back end. They had a very talented team out, out there, as, as the Admiral knows. But, uh, yeah, that that's just the great, you know, whether it's a spirit spot or whether it's getting to uh, to sit in the wardroom with with shipmates of, of all different class years and, uh, and experience the game. I think it's as cool or cooler than marching on or being in there uh, yourself is, is experiencing it, uh, you know, firsthand in the fleet. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what, if you have some time uh, and a nice imagination, you, you need to sit down with Admiral Bill Byrne and listen to some of the sea stories. Uh, they are fantastic. One of my favorites involves a swim call while being in command of a frigate, uh, but they're all good. And, and there was always a lesson at the end of it. And, and it was always positivity. Um, and, and sir, I'll tell you what, you were and still are one of the most positive leaders I have ever been around. And, and so with that in mind, I know you have a positive prediction uh, for Saturday. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the pod and sharing some of your perspectives. We can't wait to have you on again. And uh, I'll let you take us out with a bold prediction for what we're going to see Saturday. Yeah. So back to the season and army season, I am embarrassed that we are an underdog. But hey, that's fine. Give us that underdog role. I'm going double digits, 24-14 Navy. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, 24-14 Navy. Admiral Bill Byrne, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how we do this thing. There's no big out here. We're going out right now for TJ Grady, for Admiral Bill Byrne, for Dan Runsheimer and the Custodis Libertatis crew, for Bill Wagner and Chris Cervello. It's Army Week. There's only one thing to do at the end of Army Week, ladies and gentlemen, and that's sing second. We're out. Beat Army. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play -play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segment.